Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, Here's this week's podcast. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. And while you are turning there, let me say a uh, several thank yous. Uh, we have had a lot going on in our the life of our church, and I hope that you are plugged in and are not missing some of these things. And uh, rumor has it, things are only going to get busier as we approach the summer months. So uh, we've got to say a great big thank you to, to uh, Heath and all those who participated in our golf tournament uh, yesterday. Thank you for, uh, for doing that. We had a team go to West Virginia, and uh, the uh, semi-truck full almost of food has made its way that way. So thank you to that group of folks and a lot of you who helped pack on Thursday night. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For being here, in addition to Mother's Day, and I know uh, for some of you, Mother's Day and Father's Day are hard days. Uh, I, I understand that. Uh, there are a lot of you here, though, that are females, that you are a mom, whether you physically have had a child or not. A lot of you are moms to a lot of people. I want you to know that, and uh, I'm glad that you're here today. Also, with with it being Mother's Day, uh, if you see Kayla. Give her a big pat on the back because I think today or this week is uh, marks four years of her serving uh, our children, and so we're so grateful for her. So there's a lot of things going on in the life of our church. Uh, just uh, a week or two ago, Lynette and I were riding over to Spartanburg, and we had gone over to uh, visit uh, Jim Curtis. And if you were here this week, we had just a wonderful celebration of his life, and uh, he's enjoying Mother's Day in a different place today, a heavenly place today, and we are so excited and grateful for that. We were driving over to meet him, and we were passing the Beacon Drive-In. Now, let's just pause for just a minute right there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can't eat there as much as I used to be able to eat there. I think, uh, I think you can actually just pass by there now and take a whiff, and that will do you good for most of us. We were passing by the beacon, and we were right in front, and actually Tommy was in the back seat with us, and uh, the traffic came to an abrupt stop, and we noticed that uh, a wonderful African-American man had been going down the sidewalk on his uh, motorized wheelchair. And he had his son sitting in his lap, and apparently he had kind of misjudged the curb that he was riding on, and it had fallen off into the street. And so uh, I didn't know at first why the traffic was stopped, but then I saw uh, a guy jump out of his truck, and he ran over, and so I'm wondering what's going on. And then I finally see, and so I put the car in park, and I jump out and run over, and we finally got him sitting back up straight, and we got him on the sidewalk, and of course, he was so thankful, and just, just thank you, thank you, thank you, you know, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, and, uh, and so he started off on his way, and we got back in the car. That's kind of the story we're going to talk about today. 
the Good Samaritan. Some of you know this story in Luke's Gospel, but it's far beyond just stopping to help someone in need. And so we're going to look at it and kind of talk about what does that mean for us personally and what does it mean for us uh, even corporately in the life of our church, Luke chapter 10. You've got to pick up, I know the screen says verse 29 and we'll get there, but you actually have to start at verse 25. So let's start there at verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer... All right, let's stop right there. Do we need to pray again? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know we have some wonderful lawyers and attorneys in our church. A certain lawyer. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is talking to a lawyer. Jesus, by the way, was the master communicator. Depending on who he was talking to, he would choose his choice of words correctly. He was very intentional, very strategic. I have a lot to learn from Jesus. So do you. So the crowd that he's talking to, or sometimes the individuals that he's talking to, he chooses his words and his questions in light of the person to whom he's talking. And he's talking to a lawyer. And this lawyer stood, stood up and puts Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now let's stop again. If you want to get the full context of this question, because... Church family, you've heard me say before, context is king, K-I-N-G. Context is everything. I can pick any verse out of the Bible, and I can make the Bible say anything I want. But I have to read the story of what's happening in context. And Jesus has just been talking to people, and he's been talking about the Father and the Son, and basically we are one, and if you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. If you obey the Father, then you obey the Son. And so this lawyer is putting him to the test. Now, what is he putting him to the test about? I don't know. But he's pushing him on some issues, and we're going to find out what it is, because he says to him, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says to him, to the lawyer, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? The lawyer answers and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Quoting, The great commandment found in Deuteronomy, and Jesus actually mentions it again in the New Testament. And so the lawyer answers correctly. As a matter of fact, Jesus says to him, verse 28, You have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Verse 29, But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? Now let's stop for just a second. I love the way Luke puts those words in there. To us in verse 29, wishing to justify himself. We're going to discover as we read this story that this man, this lawyer, this attorney is asking questions about following the law, but the real issue is is he really concerned about obeying the law? Or is he trying to find a loophole? Or is he trying to find an excuse? What is it that he's getting at? We're going to Hopefully figure that out in just a little bit. We've talked about in our church, by the way, justification can be a good thing and justification can be a bad thing. We are justified through Christ, just as if we've never sinned. Actually, much better than that. Not only that we've never sinned, but that we did everything right. That's a good way to be justified, justification. This man is trying to justify maybe some incorrect thoughts, maybe even incorrect beliefs or behavior. And so he's pushing Jesus. Any of us who have kids, or no kids, or have watched kids, or even been a kid, 
you know, some bad uses of justification. I remember speaking, you know, all the time picking on my younger sister and different things would happen and I would be threatened with that yardstick or that switch that I would have to go out and pick myself. Anybody else have to go pick your own switch? All right, a lost generation. There's hope. There's hope for the rest of the world. That switch sometimes, though, when it was uh, brought to my attention that it was coming, I would quickly try to justify why I did not deserve that spanking. Well, she started it. She did this. Well, she said this. That's not a wise use of justification. So this man, this lawyer, asks this question, who is my neighbor, which really is his attempt to get Jesus to elaborate on, okay, Jesus, give me some specifics. What do you mean by neighbor? And we're going to find out this morning that perhaps this lawyer's definition of the word neighbor and Jesus' word of the, of the word, definition of the word neighbor are entirely different things. We live in our world where we are constantly and at hyper speed over the last few years, quickly redefining words, and most of the time they're not good. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? We have to understand Jewish culture. There's so much in the New Testament. I wish I knew more of it better than I do. But there's so many things here tied to Jewish culture. In this time, the word neighbor had certain words. Now, I know in our contemporary words, when we think of a neighbor, we might think of the people in our subdivision. We might think of the people who lived on our left and on our right. We might even think of our our kinfolk. You know, that's our neighbor. And then everybody else is the rest of them. Maybe that was the perception that this man had because he thought maybe when he asked this question and it was answered, he might be able to fulfill Jesus' request to the letter of the law. After all, that's what mattered most to him was the law. I remember on my way to church one time when I was in college in Spartanburg, I was running a little late and I was speedily headed to get to church And I remember passing somebody on the road with a flat tire. And as I passed by, my thought was, I can't stop because I'm going to be late for church. I'm going to be late for church. It's very easy for us to lean toward fulfilling the things that we think we should or shouldn't do, the law, and actually totally miss God. And that's what Jesus doesn't want to happen to this man. So he's trying to explain to him what neighbor really means. Maybe he is asking this question, who's my neighbor, because he didn't want to uh, incorrectly or maybe inappropriately display justice or loving kindness to someone who he thought maybe didn't deserve it. We don't know why he asked the question, but the Jews commonly interpreted the word neighbor either as someone that was related to them by blood, by family, or by religion. That was their neighbor. Everybody else was not their neighbor. And so it's interesting in the Jewish culture, keep in mind, this is a lawyer, a scribe probably, a Jewish person asking Jesus these questions. Because when we get to the end of the story, this Jew is going to go, he's going to have his mind blown with what Jesus says to him is the answer. So let's keep reading. Jesus replies and says, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went off, leaving him half dead. By chance, a certain priest was going down on that same road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
And likewise, a Levite also, and when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, keep in mind, who's Jesus talking to? A certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Great story. And then Jesus looks at the man and says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor who fell into the robber's hands? The lawyer said to him, well, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So let's talk about this story a little bit before we make some application. Here we have these people, three different people Jesus identifies who are on this road. That see this man who's been stripped, beaten, left for dead on the side of the road. And three different people have the opportunity to help, but only one does. I love that Jesus talked in parables. Some of the parables, the disciples and those to whom he was speaking really struggled to understand. Sometimes, i got to be honest, some of them I struggle to understand. What are you saying? But there's always a point to the parable. I've heard it said this way, that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So he's not just making up this story just for the sake of it. He's making up this story to make a point. And you've got to, again, know a little bit about what's going on here. That Jerusalem, this road that that Jesus is talking about, from Jerusalem to Jericho is many, many miles. It's down a rocky terrain. And I know one day we're going to get a plane load of people and we're going to go to Israel and we're going to see all these sites. We've already had a vote and we've got several of you that want to go. So we're going to work on that. I haven't seen it either. I've heard about it. But there's this rocky train. I've seen pictures and videos of it. And there are a lot of crevices down this long, winding, rocky road where robbers and thieves could hang out. In other words, it's not a good part of town. It would be, we might call it the other side of the tracks. It might be that section of road, that roadway where a lot of trouble could happen. And so Jesus starts sharing the story, and so this Jewish guy, this attorney who's listening, already has started to conjure up, for sure, images in his head because he's picturing this road that Jesus is talking about, thinking, whoa, this is not a great place to be. And so Jesus mentions three people. By the way, it's about a 40-mile stretch from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Sketchy place. And so Jesus mentions some people. Let's start with the first one. The first one is the priest. And the priest, Jesus tells in this story, verse 31, was going down the road. And when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Here this man is, naked, beaten, in bloody condition, half dead, left for dead. And the priest walks on by. Now why, maybe, did he walk on by? I don't know for sure. But I know this. I know that if he was a priest, he knew the law. And if you study, again, Jewish culture and Jewish history, you'll find out what the law says. And the law says in Numbers chapter 19, verse 16, that if you see someone, man, they had laws for everything. If you see someone who's been beaten, left for half dead, laying on the side of the road, and you're a priest, do not touch them or it will defile you. You will become become unclean. And for seven days, you will have to separate yourself. 
So are you tracking with this? There's all these laws. Go back and read them. The Old Testament's full of them. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I mean, there's some, there's some laws. They thought of everything, right? Aren't you glad you're not under the law anymore? That was kind of weak. I'm glad I'm not under law anymore because there's no way I can meet every single little chick chick No way. So this priest is thinking, according to Jesus' story, this priest is thinking, well, I could go over there and help him, but if I help him, I'm going to violate the law. So he did nothing. Walked away from this horrible sight. Had hardness of heart and no compassion. Jesus is saying in this story that the priest is more concerned with the law. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a lawyer. Jesus is saying, hey, if you you want to love your neighbor, you could do like the priest, and you could be more concerned with the law. Or what else does he say? He gives another illustration. He talks about a Levite. Verse 32, he says, a Levite also came. And when he came to the place, he saw him, but he too passed by on the other side. Another person who was important in church culture sees a need and walks by on the other side. Folks, I got to tell you, if if you get nothing from today's message, trust me, I am. Because there are oftentimes needs in our world, and sometimes the people that can be most oblivious most unaware, the ones who walk by on the other side and distance themselves from it are the religious people. Can I ask you a question today? What needs do you see that God is waiting on you, maybe even divinely gifted you to meet? Which ones do you see? If you don't see any needs, that might be Part of the issue is that we, and I, we need to pray, you and I need to pray for God to open our eyes to the needs around us because they are all around us. They are within a rock's throw of where we sit right now. There are tremendous needs. And so Jesus again is saying, look at this. This priest, by the way, that he mentions first, was probably more concerned with the moral law. Levite may be more concerned with the ceremonial law. They're trying to get all the... What, are the, what's, what, do you, what did we say, uh, the dots and tittles, is that what you call it? That all the T's crossed, the I's dotted, everything. They're trying to make sure they've got all the law covered. And yet they're missing the opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. I, I wrote down, as you know, I wrote down some questions. Here's what I wrote down for myself. Why in the world did they not get involved? Here they are, two spiritual people, two religious people. They see this man half-beaten, bloody, left for dead, laying on the side of the road. Why would they not get involved? I just jotted down some thoughts that came to my mind. The first one I wrote down was maybe they thought it would be too costly. How does that apply to me? There are so many times I could get involved in a situation to be of help. And sometimes instead of just responding... Like Peter, we talked about last week, and just jumping out of the boat and responding, I sit back and I get out my piece of paper and I write down all the pros and cons. God gave us a brain. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I write down my list of pros and cons, and then I determine in the flesh, well, that's too costly. Pastor Jim, thank you for going to West Virginia, for burdening, letting the Lord burden your heart, to load up a truck and go up there 
It was costly. It took time. It took energy. It took our church family time and energy and money to supply food. Church family, thank you. Thank you. Because these guys perhaps thought it was too costly. Maybe they also thought, you know, the investment is too high. Maybe they thought it's going to take too much time and energy. Maybe they thought, you know, if I go over here and I help him, I really don't know what I'm going to get into here. He looks a little bloody, but maybe he's going to have a broken arm and a cracked rib and all these other things that I can't see on the surface. So once I start to help, it's going to turn into a big ordeal. I don't, I don't know. But they refused to help. And to see a need and to not help, if God gives you the opportunity to see that need, is missing an opportunity. Now let's keep in mind what Jesus is getting ready to say here because he talks about the priest, he talks about the Levite, but then he says in verse 33, as if to really shake this guy's attention, but a certain Samaritan was on a journey. Now, keep in mind who the Samaritans were. You know, Jews and Samaritans, at odds, enemies, the most despised person. And Jesus is getting ready to tell... I love how Jesus is just so... I just love it. Jesus is getting ready to tell him, Hey, I don't know who you're thinking in your imagination is going to be the hero in this story. You're probably thinking a Jew's going to come by and help him. But guess what? It's going to be your worst enemy who's going to come and stop and help this guy, a Samaritan. We sometimes don't think of it in that light because we've heard this story. Maybe you've heard this story a lot growing up or you've been in church and you've heard about Jews and Samaritans. And for you now, it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know they don't like each other. No, they hated each other. They were enemies. And so Jesus is saying to the lawyer, guess who's getting ready to come help this guy? Your worst enemy, number one, is getting ready to stop and help this guy. And he says he was on the journey, verse 33. He came upon this man on the side of the road and when he saw him... He felt compassion. He felt compassion. Have you ever, you ever heard that phrase before? You remember that phrase? I think we studied that maybe in the book of the Mark. When Jesus saw the people, when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were helpless, harassed, hopeless, like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't it interesting that Samaritan is the one who saw this man and had compassion on him, was ready to show kindness and mercy That really is a neighbor in the truest sense of the word. Though he's not an Israelite, here he is a Samaritan who above all men was hated by the Jews. And here he is proving that he is the best neighbor. And Jesus goes on to describe what it meant to be a good neighbor. And I want to kind of focus on these things this morning as we wrap up. What does it really mean to be a good Samaritan? Here's the first one. A good Samaritan goes to people. This man, the Samaritan man, was passing by. He saw this bloody, beaten-up guy on the side of the road, and he said, instead of going away from him, I'm going to go to him. He went to people. All of us, church family, please hear me. All of us, this is what God wants us to do. Not just the super spiritual Christian. But all of us who claim to know Jesus, God wants us to be a good Samaritan to people in need. There are people that you know that have needs that only you can meet. I can't meet those needs. I can't meet the needs. It stretches most of us as men just to meet the needs of our family. 
And yet God is calling us, he's pushing us, urging us, again like he did last week with Peter, pleading to reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what this man does. He went to people. I, th- th- I thought about this, I wrote these comments down. He, he went to this guy despite the risk. What could have happened? Think about it. He's a Samaritan, this is a Jew on the side of the road, beaten, and he's a Samaritan. What could happen? He could have walked over there, and I, I, I mean, I don't know. This would be ludicrous, but he could have walked over there, and if the man had enough consciousness left and saw his worst enemy helping him, the man could have said, leave me alone. I don't want your help. I want help, but I don't want your help. So there was some risk involved, perhaps. There was also the risk involved of what people might say about him. And Jesus doesn't go into all that in his parable. But the Good Samaritan went to people. The second thing that Jesus tells us a Good Samaritan does, number two, is bandages the wounds of people. Church family, dear family, listen. There are so many wounded people. Not just physically. Emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, so many wounded people. Can I bring it home and get really real with you? As I drove in this morning, I was thinking about this. There are so many wounded people in this room. I'm one of those. Folks, if we can't be a good Samaritan with our neighbor in here, a believer, a fellow believer in Jesus that we know loves God, if we can't be a good Samaritan to one another, we will never be a good Samaritan to people out there that we don't know. Again, maybe this is for me, but right in this morning I was just thinking, it's so easy, we've talked about this before, to come into our culture at a church, I'm fine, how you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, you're fine, I'm fine, you're fine. And we're not fine. We're wounded people. The only person you're fooling is yourself if you think you're fine, because I ain't fine. The only thing that makes me somewhat fine is the righteousness of Jesus and his blood on the cross. And so Jesus is telling this lawyer, trying to help him understand, if you really want to be a good neighbor, you, you can't always just think about the law. You've got to be willing to go to people. You've got to be willing to bandage the wounds of people. And how does he do it? Jesus tells us specifically how he does this in verse 34. He poured oil and wine on his wounds, and he bandaged them. I didn't know this, but in Jewish culture, that's how you healed wounds. You mixed oil and wine and you would put on the wounds because it would cleanse the wounds and heal the wounds and take out any disease or any impurities. Amazing to think about what this man did. He bandaged the wounds, but then the story goes on that he did even more than that. He put the man on his own beast, his own animal, whatever he was riding, verse 34. He brought him to an end. And he took care of him. And on the next day, it says he took out two denarii, which, if you don't know what the cost of that is in those times, after doing some research over the last month, it was about three and a half weeks worth of money that would allow that man to stay in that inn for three and a half weeks. It would be much like someone coming to you, breaking down on the side of I-85. They have nowhere to go. They have no family. They have nowhere to stay. And you going up and saying, I'm going to put you up at the Hampton for the next three and a half weeks. Do the math. Not cheap. 
What does that tell me about what this man did? What does a good Samaritan do? It tells me that he sacrifices for people. Not only goes to people and bandages the wounds of people, but a good Samaritan sacrifices for people. Three and a half weeks worth of money for the inn, putting this man on his own animal, taking him to the inn, making sure everything's good. It's costly. It's costly. And then Jesus asked this question. So, Mr. Lawyer, which of the three individuals that you've heard in this parable do you think proved to be a neighbor? I love that question. Did you catch the question? The question was not, so, Mr. Lawyer, have you done these things? That wasn't the question. The question was, of the three individuals that I described for you in this parable, which one of these do you think did the right thing? It wasn't, the attention was not on the things, the attention was on the person. Just interesting. Jesus basically said, so who of all those did the neighborly acts? Who who did the neighborly acts? And the man answers to him. Well, the one who showed mercy toward him. Now, I don't know why he gave that answer. I've read several articles, commentaries, people's opinion, which really doesn't matter. It's been interesting, of why he, why he said it that way. The one who did showed him mercy. Maybe it's because the man did not want to admit or say the good Samaritan. I don't know. Maybe it was hard for him to come to grips to go, wow, well, of all those three that you just described, the good Samaritan. I don't know. Some of you are too young to remember this show called Happy Days with the Fonz. He had trouble apologizing, and that's what would happen when he would try to say, I'm so sorry. He couldn't say it. He couldn't say it. I don't know if that's what happened here in this story. But I do know this. Jesus, instead of putting the attention on the things that the man did, why would Jesus not put the attention on the way of the things that the man did? Why would he not put the attention on it? I've mentioned some of those this morning. Jesus isn't putting the attention on that because to do that would put the man's eyes right back on the law. Because that's what his focus was on already. Well, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. So Jesus demonstrated some characteristics of what it looked like to be a good Samaritan, but then asked the question, which one of those three did the neighborly acts? Which one of those three? And the man says, the one who had mercy on him, which basically Jesus is saying, yes, you're correct. Matter of fact, Jesus says, verse 37, go and do the same. And he's not saying go and do the same as far as necessarily all those little tasks. But go and live the same, literally, is the way that translates. Go and live the same. And the only way you and I, my friend, can live the same is to have a love relationship with the creator of the world, Jesus Christ. And then we will do the things that Jesus would have us do. What happens is, a lot of times, and I'm just personal testimony 101, poster child of this to be the truth. What happens a lot of times as we grow up in the church, for those of us who have, is we mistakenly think... That our righteousness comes from our list of things that we do. And that's not the case. We do, the things we do are birthed out of a love relationship with Jesus. Some of you are kind of looking like this is like fly over, you're glazing out on me. Don't glaze out on me. 
Don't miss it. Because Jesus is sharing this parable to illustrate to this lawyer, don't forget who he's talking to, hey, you can do all the things, you can live your life according to the letter of the law, and you can still miss an opportunity to impact someone's life. How does that apply to me? I kind of just told you, how does that apply to us as a church? scares me to death. Because we're on the verge, I believe, again, because, a lot, because of a lot of you and a lot of prayers over the last decades, God continuing to do some incredible things here. And my fear is that we'll kind of pull out our checklist and we'll say, we're doing that, we're doing that, we're doing that, we're doing that, and we'll totally miss an opportunity to impact people. It's very scary. Again, you've got to think from a Jewish perspective here and remember what's happening. Because the Samaritan would be the one in this story who was despised and rejected. And yet in the story, he is identified as the one who comes to heal and to lift up. Isn't it an interesting comparison that Jesus is sharing this story and yet he was the one who was beaten and left naked and left for dead on the cross. And yet he is the one who ultimately heals. We think of it from a Christian perspective. Maybe we read this story a little bit differently. Maybe you can talk about this in your small groups or Sunday school classes in a little while. Maybe we are the victim in the ditch. If that's the case, and we are the victim in the ditch, and the Samaritan is a picture of Jesus, would you or I ever, if we were near our Death on the side of the interstate and somebody came and they had a first aid kit that could give us everything we needed to save our life. Would you and I reject that because they didn't say the right thing or look the right way or be of the right ethnicity? No. It would be ludicrous. And so if we understand ourselves, if we put ourselves in the seat of the man who's injured on the side of the road this morning and we are as good as dead, who do we want as our neighbor? Are we going to protest that well, it'll be only over my dead body that so-and-so helps me? Or is that precisely the point that Jesus is trying to make here? That it's only when we discover how dead we are that we experience the saving, healing help of Jesus Christ. I don't know how God's speaking to you this morning. Maybe he's challenging you to be a good Samaritan, maybe he's challenging you to reach out to your neighbor, who we would say is our neighbor in here, culturally. Maybe our neighbor's out there. Somebody sent me this this weekend, Ocean City, Maryland. Humble hero jumped off a Route 90 bridge last Sunday afternoon to save a two-year-old child who was ejected from the vehicle during a multi-vehicle crash. The hero now has a name. His name's Jonathan Bauer. He's the vice president of Atlantic General Hospital. And he rescued a little girl who'd been ejected from a pickup truck dangling over the rail on Route 90 Bridge last Sunday afternoon. I've been up and down that bridge. I've up in there with ministry friends twice a year. Been on that same road. He was traveling with his 13-year-old daughter, Ava, across the bridge when their vehicle was involved in this multi-vehicle crash. He checked on other people and he sprang into action. He said, I heard yelling and I saw this truck on the railing and I told my daughter, call 911 and stay right there. 
I looked over the rail and I saw this baby in the water below. Her head was above water. Her arms were waving and her feet were kicking. They said he wasted no time. He jumped over the rail and into the bay about 30 feet below. At that point, he said, I looked around. I didn't see any boats. I told my daughter to stay there. I didn't move. I didn't have any choice but to jump over. I landed feet first. I popped up and I swam to this girl. Her eyes were semi-open and I patted her on the back and she began to spit up water and started coughing. I looked in the distance and I saw a pontoon boat that showed up just a few minutes with a local resident, Joe Ortle. He was out on the water with his wife, Trisha and their daughter, Elena. Elena was operating the boat and she saw it happen. The Ortel family drove the boat to the scene. They maneuvered close to Bauer and the baby and the, Bauer handed the child to the Ortels and climbed up in the boat. Ava said of her dad, I thought he was going to die. I thought he was going to be paralyzed or worse. The pontoon boat sped up the ramp at 64th Street where the paramedics were arriving and the two-year-old child was taken to the hospital and released a couple of days later and she's going to make a full recovery. Bauer's wife recalled those frantic moments last Sunday. I called Ava and there was no icebreaker, she said. All she said was, Dad, jumped over the bridge. <laughs> Straight to the point, right? Just like a teenager, I love it. He said, Route 90 is known for accidents, but in my whole career, I've never seen a vehicle dangling over the rail. I looked over, and I saw that man with the baby, and everyone's calling him a hero. He was the right guy in the right place at the right time. Love stories like that. But here's the point. People are dangling over the bridge every day out here. Their lives are literally hanging in the balance between heaven and hell. Not just physically wounded, but they're spiritually wounded. And if you're like me, sometimes in my day as I am careening at a high rate of speed through life and just shoom, shoom. And the God orchestrated divine appointments that he set up for me and for you. Or we can stop and we can go to somebody and we can speak a kind word or we can reach down and we can help heal their wounds. Sometimes we're moving so fast through life we don't even see it. So the last thing I'd say, it's not on the screen, if you want to be a good Samaritan, two key words that God said to me this week. Slow down. Because the opportunities are there. My friends Robbie and Jenny McMakin are here and they can tell you. They've slowed down life enough to see them. Maybe this morning what God's saying to you is, here's some places you need to pull back on the speedometer because you're missing these divine opportunities I'm giving you to be a good Samaritan. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it speaks to us, the way that it speaks to me. There's so much, Lord, in this passage about being a good Samaritan that it starts really with our relationship with you. You, I believe, have given every one of us in this church opportunities, divine appointments, maybe even this week. Lord, help us not to miss them. Help us not to miss them. 
It's so wonderful to be able to come together like this and to worship and to celebrate you and to be with friends. There is nothing in the world like it. It's awesome. It's spectacular. But God, there is so much more beyond this. This is the catalyst. This is the pep rally. This is where we put fuel in the tank to go out into the world and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So would you help us do that? While you're praying this morning, I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you, but today you may find yourself wounded and weary and in need of a good Samaritan to reach down and help you. And that good Samaritan is Jesus, and he stands willing to help you and meet you right where you are. Today, if you don't know him personally, I want to invite you in just a moment. Right there in your seat, or if you want to come down and grab my hand or the hand of our teaching pastor, Heath, and just say, I I need to know Jesus, then I pray you do that today. For For most of us, probably, God is speaking in a different way, and maybe he's asking you, what about being a neighbor? What about being a neighbor right here in this space to people that we know, brothers and sisters in Christ? What about being a neighbor in our community? I don't know how the Lord's speaking to you, but I pray that you would respond in obedience to Him this morning. Maybe it's to pray in this altar up front where these chairs are. You're welcome to come and kneel or come take my hand or Heath's hand. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe it's to join our church. I know there are many of you that have been visiting. If you'd like to be a part of Crossroads, you might want to come down this morning and just say, Pastor Jack, I'd love to be a part of this fellowship. I sense the power of the Holy Spirit here and God working. And let us know that as well as we sing this song in just a moment. Father, I pray you'd have your way today. Thank you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Joey's going to lead us in that song of invitation. As he does, I want to invite you to stand and respond as the Lord leads you today. Let's sing together. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.